you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 2. We want to pick up our study in verse 1. This morning, as I mentioned, even in my prayer, I, I love this topic. And so Paul is going to bring forth his heart. Paul's heart was for the nation of Israel and for the Gentiles to come to saving grace. You see, Paul experienced this grace of God uh, there on the road to Damascus. Paul was a very learned man when it came to religion, when it came to the law, when it came to the spiritual things of Israel. Paul understood it. He was most likely a doctor of the law. And so Paul, on the road to Damascus, God wipes him out. And I love that phrase, when Paul was on the ground and he's blinded. And he says, is that you, Lord, recognizing the power of God? And through that Damascus highway experience, Paul comes to know saving grace. He didn't understand it fully. In the next three days, he, he was taken literally by the hand there to the city of Damascus, and he went with a man called Ananias. And Ananias was supposed to just comfort him, console him, and, and, you know, take care of his needs for three days. They didn't know how long he was going to be blind. But imagine God getting a hold of you, and now you're blind. And here's this solitarsis, a, a raging bull, they described him uh, in the Greek. It would be like one that... Think about a bull or an animal that's ready to charge and the nostrils are flaring up and down. That was solitarsis. He had letters in hand. He was going to Damascus. He was going to get Christian, bring him back, and put him on a court of law. In fact, Ananias, I believe, he thought he was on that list. Because when God told him, I want you to pray for this man, Ananias reminds God, do you know who he is? This is solitarsis. But something happened to Paul. This solitarsis that becomes Paul the Apostle. The grace of God fell upon him. And this morning, if you have not come to saving grace, you need to let and allow the grace of God to fall upon you. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. And that's amazing because you see people in church sometimes and they want to serve, they want to work, they want to do, and that's good, but that's not your salvation. And some people do it so they can acquire salvation. Look at your celebrities. When there's disasters uh, in our world, uh, our own disasters recently when Katrina broke out and it just devastated uh, the whole area of New Orleans there. Well, we had celebrities, and they were on television, and they were giving millions away. And all that was good for the people. But that will not get them into the kingdom of God. And so Paul speaks so beautifully that we are saved by grace through faith. In these ten verses, he speaks about three positions. And the first three verses we're going to see our past, our B.C. days, where we were before the Damascus Highway, that we were in the world. And then the next section, we're going to see from verses 4 through 6, we're going to see our present time in Christ Jesus. Here now, Paul speaks about being in the heavenly places now, here on this earth. And then lastly, verses 7 uh, through 10, he speaks about the future, the things that God has for us. Uh, the concept of a new heaven, a new Jerusalem, a new earth, according to the book of Revelation, it, it sometimes goes beyond our, our, our comprehension. Streets of gold, I don't understand. Transparent streets of gold. A, a tree that produces 12 different types of fruit, I don't understand. The leaves that are the healing for the nations. What is this that God is speaking of? But these are futuristic and all I can say is, Lord, I'm waiting for that. I would love to walk on streets of gold. And, you know, we're so accustomed to asphalt. Can you imagine God's streets? And then he speaks about pearly gates, 12 gates, and each gate represents 
a pearl. What does that mean? How big are these gates? How big is that pearl? And God says, these are for you. And so the things that he has for us. But let's begin here in verse 1 now. And Paul, again, as I mentioned earlier, he begins to speak now, verses 1, 2, and 3, what we were in our past. Now, very important, don't forget your past, but don't glory in your past. You know, when I first came to Saving Grace, I used to go to a lot of meetings. I used to go to a lot of gang type of mentality meetings. And these are guys and girls that came to Saving Grace, street people. But when they get up and testify, if you go every week, their testimony changes. Last week I killed two. This week uh, they killed three. And we're not to glorify our past. But we can use it as, as an example. In fact, if you study the Pauline epistles, Paul five times brings out his testimony. And I don't think he was very proud of it, but uh, at the same time, look at this is what God brought me from. And I've had many opportunities to tell people of my past. And you have opportunities. And, and that brings them to that curiosity of Christ. And in all reality, I remember I used to say this about my friend. If God could change him, he could change me. When I heard of my pastor's testimony, I said, if God could change that man, he can change me. And that's the beauty of a testimony, our past. Notice as we begin here in verse 1. And so the Holy Spirit shares about our past, our B.C. days. And you, he says, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You, uh, the church at Ephesus. You, this morning, uh, the church at Calvary Chapel. You, the body of Christ for the last uh, 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross. He says here, he, you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. You see, the Bible says that we are all sinners saved by grace. There is not one righteous, no, not one. In fact, we have all sin and come short of the glory of God. But we look at this word sin. In the Greek, it's the word harmathia, and it was an archery term in the times of the New Testament. And so when the archer would let go of the arrow and you missed your target, they would shout, you have sinned. And that's us when we sin. We miss the target, which is Christ. And I fall off to the wayside and whatever the sin nature that I was caught up into. Now, there's different types of sin, obviously. We have the sin of omission. Sometimes I do things and I really don't understand why I did it. It just kind of happened. But then we also have uh, the sin which we call willful sin. Or the sin of transgression. Uh, in other words, something that's considered blatant, something deliberate. The sin of transgression. In, in other words, you know exactly uh, what you're going to do, but you still do it. Remember in our BC days, we would make a plan. I'm going to do this on Friday night. And I'm going to take care of business on, on Friday night. But I'm going to repent of this later. I mean, I used to do that. A lot of you used to do that. Those are blatant sins. And sooner or later, you're going to get caught. You can't continue uh, to do that. These were the things, the concepts of our BC days, the things that I was. We were manipulators. Well, I know what I'm doing. I know how far I can take it. Be careful. And then look at verse 2 now. And he speaks about our BC days in which you once walked. And walking sometimes describes my manner of life. And so he says, in which you once uh, walked in this manner of life, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The prince and the power of the air. The one that's in charge of the world's standards. We're talking about Lucifer. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about the devil. And so we wonder where these things come from. But notice in verse 2, again, the word walk, uh, the, the manner of life that I had. 
or what Vice Dictionary says here, or to mediate aimlessly to the course of this world. Uh, the word course is translated here, the weather vane. And if you understand a weather vane, it just kind of sits there until the winds come and it takes it every which way. And so that was our way of life that we walked in, the course of this world. We were like that weather vane, or we just meandered. We had no concept of where we were going. Whatever doors open, I'm going to go that way. If that door closes, I'll go another way. And so we have this thought pattern that's part of it. Now, where does this come from? Where does this standard, this weather vane standard, this meandering, where does it come from? The prince and the power of the air, Satan. Now, our flesh many times has a lot to do with it. Be careful when you constantly blame the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. Well, what about your flesh? What about your flesh? What about the desires of, of your flesh heart? And we can so easily become entrapped. And the system of this world, the standard of this world, the appetites of this world, they were there in the B.C. days before Christ, but they're still here today. The enemy still wants to lure you back, even though you, uh, you know, have accepted Christ. And so Paul speaks of this, but uh, let me give you some background. Lucifer, Satan, the prince of the air. The controller of things, the one that causes the marionette to move back and forth sometimes. And sometimes we feel like that, that he's in such control, such charge. And so we speak of the devil. And a lot of times we don't understand that he's there, the reality. He goes by many names, and I just wanted to draw, and I don't like to glorify the enemy, but we need to know our enemy. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the devil, uh, the serpent, the dragon. He's called Beelzebub in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament. He's called Apollyon, Abanadon, Belial. And here's another good description. The God, small g, of this world the cosmos, the spirit of the devil. And then Paul says that works through the sons of disobedience. Now, the sons of disobedience, you can go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we see Adam and Eve, they fell. They fell to the sin nature. But we also know that there was a third of the angels that followed Lucifer. They're called the fallen angels. They're also the sons of disobedience. And so basically for us, though, from the time of Adam until today, the sons and the daughters of disobedience. I mean, I don't like to admit it, but I was uh, one of those. You were one of those. That's our B.C. days. We followed the things of the enemy. We had no idea that we were entrapped, so entrapped. We were so part of that life. And so Paul's reminding us, and we have to be reminded, church. Oh, yes, we're saved by grace through faith, but don't forget where you came from. That God brought me from that gutter. That God brought me from that sin nature. Now, we can reflect and say, well, I, you know, I didn't do the sins that you speak of, Pastor Bob. Praise God. But the Bible says no liar will enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says no uh, drunkard will enter the kingdom of God. You take the guy that has a great job and, you know, he brings in a great salary. He has his wife, his children. I mean, he's doing everything right, but he's a drunkard. He's a liar. The Bible says you will not enter the kingdom of God. So in all reality, we all need saving grace. And so he goes to the last description. Look at verse 3 now. Among whom also, so he speaks of these first two verses, those that were steeped into sin, those that were entrapped by even the enemy's enticements, among whom also now we all once conducted ourselves. We were all part of it. Paul the Apostle, as Saul of Tarsus, was part of it. He says, once we conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, uh, the fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, my flesh nature, you know, desires certain things, and your flesh nature desires certain things. Now, it depends how, we're go how far we're going to follow that desire. 
Well, one of the things I still struggle with is the desires of the mind. And you have to be careful because, you see, nobody knows your mind but you. But God knows, obviously. And so we can shield it. We can hide it. We can blend in, if you may. My wife doesn't know. The husband doesn't know. The children don't know. The people at church don't know. But in Psalm 139, it tells us that the all-seeing eye is God. He knows all things. Guys, those of you that were part of the bar scene like I was, you go to the bar. Ah, nobody knows me. Do you guys remember the bell they would ring in 10 minutes, 2 o'clock? Well, there'd be times we would go beyond the bell. I said, they ain't going to throw us out. All of a sudden, they turn the lights on. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. All of a sudden, you look around, you see all these moles, and you realize you're one of these moles. And you're like Dracula because the light went on. You're going, whoa, what's going on? And all of a sudden, light has exposed you. Then you realize the person sitting next to you, you go, oh, man, where did she come from? And these are the things of the world, the appetites of the world. And we need to be exposed to these things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the mind. And notice what it says here, the bottom of verse 3, and we're by nature, this is our BC days, the children of wrath. Just as others. We weren't alone. You see, that scripture there, the bottom of verse 3 is telling me that I was subject to go to hell by wrath, by nature. I was going to hell. Uh, One ticket, no return. So were you. Until Christ, with his precious blood, he came to rescue me. He came to rescue you. And that's why we're going to be getting into this portion that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I need salvation. I need saving grace. Here in verse 3, again, before Christ, we live by the following passions, the desires and the evil nature, the sin nature. We were born with evil nature, the Adamic sin. And we need a Savior just like anybody else. I used to struggle with that years ago. I said, that's not fair. It was Adam's fault. I mean, why did he partake of the tree? And because of Adam, because of Eve, now I have this Adamic sin. And I come into the world with Adamic sin. And water baptism does not erase it. I must come to saving grace. The key that he's speaking of of here in verse 3 is the lustful flesh and the desires of this flesh and the flesh desires of the mind. Vine's dictionary was very strong here. All of these lustful desires, the desires of the mind and such, the beastly erotic desires of sinful man. Look at the things that man is capable of today. The internet, the television, you know, the cable, the extra cable, commercials. Look at the junk that's in commercials. And it just grabs billboards. Crazy, the billboards. I, we have, I think there's three Calvary chapels in Las Vegas, Nevada. And one of them is Pastor John Michaels, and he teaches at our conferences, and he gets up there and he says, I've been living there for 22 years. I refuse to go down to the strip. I refuse. In fact, he says, I live two, three houses down from where the church is at. That's all I need. I don't need to see the rest. And if you've ever been there, you rent a cab, and the cab has all of this advertisement. You can't hide from it. And so the people in Las Vegas, they say, well, we become part of it. But you know what I love about Las Vegas? Look at the directory if you get a chance. How many churches are there? Everybody calls it Sin City. Praise God. It is Sin City. But so is Las Cruces. But I thank God that he's there at Sin City. I thank God that he's in Las Vegas. I thank God that he's here working on the hearts of man. Working on the hearts of men. John says one of the craziest things 
is that when we count up the offerings, the tithes, there's chips from all over different casinos. <laughs> and they have to take them back, you know, and trade them in for cash and stuff. But amazing. But the beastly erotic desires of sinful man. Turn with me now because the wrath of man by nature, it's going to come. God's wrath. Turn to Romans chapter 1. When you get to Romans chapter 1, it speaks about that everybody is without excuse. We all have a sin nature. That's why we come to saving grace. We need a Savior. We desperately need a Savior. Your works will not save you. Your philosophy, well, I have it all figured out. No, that's not going to save you. You must come to the cross. And so Paul speaks of this in the book of Romans in chapter 1. I just want to draw from a few verses because uh, he speaks about it at the bottom of verse 3. And we're by nature the children of wrath. And he says, just like others. And so here in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Paul begins this segment. God's wrath on the unrighteous. That was us. Now, I was unrighteous. You were unrighteous. I come to righteousness, listen, in Christ Jesus. And righteousness basically now is right living with God. But here in Romans chapter 1, look at verse 24 with me. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and to the lust of their own hearts uh, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. This is what was happening at Rome. This is what was happening at the church at Ephesus. This is what happened in our lives. This is still happening today. The sinful nature of man. And basically, if you want to do the sin, whatever it might be, God will hand you over to it. Go for it. Eat your sin up. Live. Be part of that sin. Until you finally get sick and tired. Look at verse 25. Who exchanged? Listen to what the sin nature causes you to do. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature. Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26. For this reason. There's a place. There's a time when God says. For this reason. God gave them up to their vile passions. You want to act like a dog, you want to live like a dog, then go be one. It's your choice. God leaves it up to us. Yet he's there, he wants to save us. He wants to bring us out of that miry clay. He wants to bring us out of that, that pit that's taking you straight down. Notice that it says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile uh, passions. For even their women, listen ladies, exchange the natural use for what is against nature. This is lesbianism. And we say, well, we don't talk about that today. Well, it's okay. I was born this way. Be careful with these lies of Lucifer. Satan, the devil himself. Now, look at the men. Likewise, in verse 27, also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so we come to the 21st century. Okay, this, I understand. I read the books on, you know, in history about the debauchery of Rome. But come on, Pastor Bob, we're in the 21st century. Things change. Uh, things have gotten worse, that's all. Man is still by nature sinful. And because we're in the 21st century, it seems like we've created different methods of sinning. I mean, we have the Internet. We have the movies. Uh, look at the things that are out there. You have the magazines. You have the books. You can call somebody late at night and nobody has to know. I mean, everything's been made available for us. And so Satan is clever. But notice here that the women exchange the natural ability of a woman for a man. And he's also changed the ability of a man for the natural ability for a woman, but now for a man. Well, that's the way I'm made. That's the way I was born. No. God made you male or female. Interesting what's going on today. Recently, there was an Anglican bishop, 25 years in his marriage and in ministry, 
he leaves his wife, leaves his children, devastated, destroyed them. Because he was following his feelings, and his feelings were towards a man now. And he runs off with this man. And he says, why can't you be happy for me? And we have churches, we have religions that are ordaining homosexuals. It should not be. We have churches that are marrying men to men, women to women. And the Bible says it's again, well, Pastor Bob, that's an old book. We've arrived. We have. It's no different than in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've made these exchanges. And now we're in the point where laws are going to be starting to pass. I can't mention these kind of things from the pulpit lest I would be arrested. It's coming, church. The day is coming. We will see it. And so Paul speaks about, by the nature of the sinful, the sinful nature of man, the wrath of God was coming. It's our choice. This might be an old book. But God's word, listen, it does not change. Man changes. But God's word, how can you change it? I cringe when I read scripture because I get convicted. You should get convicted. God says no liar will enter the kingdom of God. There should be a conviction. Lord, I don't want to lie. No drunkard will enter the kingdom of God. Lord, I don't want to be a drunkard no more. No fornicator, no adulterer. I don't want to do these things anymore. I mean, the list goes on, church. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, those were verses 1, 2, and 3. So let's go on now to the present. Verses 4 through 6. What we are now. Oh, thank you, Lord. And I thank God that Paul doesn't just stay on one issue. And yet we have to deal with those things that were considered our B.C. days, who I was in my past. And if you've come to saving grace and you still go back to your B.C. days, I have to ask you, have you really made a commitment to Christ? Because there should be change, transformation, metamorphosis. You should no longer be the person that you were, but I can't change you. It has to be the power of the Holy Spirit. But now notice what Paul says. But God, I like that. He just spoke three verses about our, our, our B.C. days, our past before Christ, but then he says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. And it's refreshing just to read this verse. Thank you, Lord. But God has a way of escape. That's what he's saying. Who is rich in mercy. And so in verse 4 here, because of his great agape love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. And let me add this to it. He dies on the cross to prove his love for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you died in my place. Thank you, Lord, that you died that I might have life eternal. Thank you, Lord, that you died that I have a way of escape and that your grace, that your grace is overwhelming. This little phrase, but God, uh, one of my commentaries says it's consolatory contrast to the universality of man's natural heritage of wrath. In other words, we were just going down the tubes. And so then he says, but God who is rich in mercy. The word rich here, uh, being rich in his mercy. I like that. He says, because of his great love. Doesn't John 3.16 tell us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I tell you, for years... Uh, I'd struggle with that. Lord, do you love me? Yes. Lord, do you really love me? Yes. Lord, how much do you love me? I died on the cross for you uh, to give you life, life eternal. And yet look at the things that I do. Look at the things that you do. Because of his great love, church, God has given us special ground of God's saving grace, that God saves us. I am rich in his mercy now. This is the general ground. God's mercy takes away the misery of sin and the nature of sin. God's love brings me to that place of salvation now. I like this. 
Now, we're going to deal with this verse later, but I just want to bring the caption to you. We're reminded in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, uh, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't let the enemy rip you off if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're not born again of the Holy Spirit. Call upon the name of the Lord. God is so gracious, so merciful. He's ready. He's there at any moment, at any time. Uh, through the years, I've heard of so many different testimonies. But this one I really love. A good friend of mine that I know in years back, he's in Southern California now. But in Southern California, he wasn't serving the Lord. He was just like the rest of us. Remember the course of this world? The weather vane of this world, he was just meandering through life. He had his wife, he had his children, he had his job. He'd go to church on Sunday periodically. I mean, he, he was not a heathen, he was a Christian man, but he didn't know God. But he used to go to work in the morning at 5 o'clock. And to kill the time, there wasn't a lot of good programs or a lot of good music at 5 o'clock in the morning. He had an hour to go to work, and so he'd catch this radio program. And it turns out to be Christian. And the first few times he flipped it off and then, you know, put it on some, you know, oldies but goodies station or something of that nature. This is an L.A. boy. Anyway, then he stuck with it. It kept curiosity. And that's the Holy Spirit. He would go back to that preacher. He would go back to, and you're a sinner and you need salvation. And he goes, well, who's he talking to? Well, the Holy Spirit was talking to him. This went on for about six months. And then the preacher says, You've heard the message, you need to come to saving grace. You need to come to saving grace. He knew, the preacher knew that he was on the radio. And he says, I, I venture to say there's some of you listening right now on the radio, and I don't know where you're at, what part of Southern California, but uh, I don't want you to get in a wreck. Pull over to the side of the road, and I want you to say this prayer with me. And, and so he gets his vehicle, and he veers over uh, to the side, and he, and he parks there. And police never came by because he's not supposed to park unless it's an emergency in the freeway. And the preacher says, if you need Christ, now put your, believe with me, put your hand on the radio and say this prayer. And he says, something happened to me. I couldn't pull my hand off the radio. Tears are coming down. I realized for six months, this man has been talking about me. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to come to grips with that. And that morning, early in the morning, and you could say it took six months for him to come to saving grace. But that morning, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was saved. He was saved. Now, I like this scripture. Just listen to it. In the book of Acts, in chapter 10, verse 34, let me set it up. Peter is sent to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile. And he went there to minister to them. But he had no intention of seeing what he was going to see. They came to saving grace. And the Holy Spirit was poured out as the same that was poured out to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And now to the Gentiles. And so Peter came to the conclusion in verse 34, Acts chapter 10. Peter began to speak and he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not show partiality is another translation. God is no respecter of man. Now, salvation is to the Jew first. That's what the scripture says. But God has not forgot the Gentiles. And in a whole, basically, uh, the Jews have rejected Messiah and has been given over uh, to the Gentiles. Oh, I thank the Lord. In Romans chapter 11, it says that we become the grafted-in branch into the olive tree now. That's the Gentile nation. God hasn't finished with the nation of Israel, but his salvation is there. And so now, now we've come to saving grace. Look at verse 5 now. Let's go to our text. Even when we were dead, he speaks about our past now. Even when we were dead in trespasses, now he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We'll read that later. But here, in verse 5, I want you to understand this. That while we were dead, spiritually dead, because of our sin nature... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. 
It is only by God's special unmerited favor, that's the grace of God, that you have been saved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God has saved us. You see, Jesus died for all mankind 2,000 years ago there at Calvary. And we have to believe that by faith. He has given us life eternal. You see, I was dying in my sins. You were dying in your sins. Now we are dying spiritually, but eventually we will die physically. But now he's given us life eternal in Christ. Spiritually, I'm alive. Physically, even if I die, I go home to be with Jesus. I'm alive. You're alive. It's only through Christ, church. Verse 6, he comes to this last portion of speaking of the present. And he raised us up together. You see, when Jesus died, and then I accept Jesus, so do I die. So do you die. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. He raised us up from the dead. I was dying in my sin. He raised us up together from the dead along with Christ, and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, we're in the heavenly places now. Now, I understand the concept. When I die, when you die, if I'm a Christian, I'm looking forward one day to come, go through the pearly gates and go and, and partake of the heavenly uh, scene for me, for you. But Paul says, right now, you're Christian. This is a heavenly scene here on earth. It's beautiful to get together with the body of Christ here. Yesterday, the ladies were here, and they celebrated Mother's Day. They had a brunch. They had food. They had fellowship. They had the Word of God. The women come in. They're hugging each other. They're loving on each other. Next Saturday, the men get together. We get together. Uh, we encourage each other. We come. We break bread together. But in all reality, and you're here right now as we're sharing, but tomorrow you go to work. Tomorrow you go to school. Tomorrow you might even go, you know, to the gym. Tomorrow you might go see family, friends, loved ones, or even this afternoon. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Pastor Bob, I'm not in the heavenly place now. You should see my uncles. You should see my aunts. You should see all these people. Hey, you were there once, too. You were there once, too. And so the beautiful part, all because, listen, I'm in Christ. Either I'm in Christ or I'm out of Christ, and that's your choice. God has made a way of escape. I, I love that teaching. I always bring it up to you. In John chapter 15 is the teaching of the abiding in Christ. It's called the doctrine of abiding. Either I'm in Christ or I'm out of Christ. My B.C. days, verses 1, 2, and 3, I was out of Christ. But now I come into verses 4 through 6, I'm in Christ. The word to abide there in John 15, it, it, the word is to stay in Christ. Stay in Christ. Don't go back and meander into the things of this world. Don't walk the course of this world any longer. You've come to Christ. You're in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen to this verse. It's a beautiful verse. And so Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, uh, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, the Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for you, for me, that he prays for us. But you see, right now in the present, I'm not in heaven yet. But I'm seeing the example of heaven. I'm tasting of the heavenly realm, if you may. To be around brothers and sisters in Christ, to come in a common denominator and to study the word of God. We're in the heavenly places now. I'm sitting next to Christ now. So are you. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit is there. And I lean upon him. You have to lean upon him. And so Paul has been speaking of our past. He's been speaking of our present. And now Paul speaks of our future. Now we're in the heavenly places now here. But the time will come that we will be in the heavenly places in heaven. That's futuristic. What we will be in the future 
You see, down here, like it or not, the world has nothing to offer me. Jesus said these words, I am in the world, but I'm not part of this world. You're in the world, but we're not part of this world. I get around certain people, and I know I'm in Christ with them. Then I get around certain other people, sometimes my own family, and I know that they're not in Christ Jesus. There's not that balance there. Sometimes you're closer to the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters at church, than you are with your own biological family because they're still in their sin nature. So verses 7 through 10 now, the conclusion. What we will be in the future. What we will be in the future. Remember that verse we've been sharing? What will it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? What are we gathering here on this earth? I mean, we have to live. We all need jobs. We all need finances. We need our educations. But sometimes it seems that some Christians, that's all they live for. What's in it for us in the future? Now, that doesn't give you carte blanche to go get in debt, go spend money, get more credit cards. Oh, Jesus is coming anyway. Back in 1982, there was an alignment of the planets. I remember that. I was, I'm a young Christian. Got saved in 79, 1982, the alignment of the planets. And the centrifugal force, they said was going to trigger the rapture of the church. I don't know how it came about, but it did. And there was Christians going around saying, hey, get in debt, man. Jesus is coming. What does that mean? Go buy a new car. Jesus is coming. Well, Jesus didn't come. Now what do you do with that old debt? So then 1982 kind of, you know, dwindled away. 1988, some of you remember, why is not? He wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming. I made a lot of money selling that little book, but Jesus still didn't come. And again, Christians, I heard them. Hey, man, just go do what you need to do, man. Take, book a flight to Hawaii. Put it on a card. You don't have to pay it. Don't worry about it. Jesus is coming. They're still paying today, man. <laughs> that luau was very expensive. But look at verse 7 now, the future. And I, I like this. Listen to the way it reads. He says that in the ages to come, futuristic, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I like that. In other words, the suffering, the pain, the trials, the tribulations, they're temporal. These things will pass. It's for a moment. Paul said to Silas, these are but light afflictions. Their backs were opened up. They had been beaten for the gospel's sake. You see, in verse 7, God can point to us an example of the incredible wealth of his unmerited favor. That's the word grace again. And kindness towards us as shown to all he has done for us in Christ Jesus. What does God have for us in heaven? What does God have for us? I kind of uh, went into it earlier just a little bit. But I was kind of reminiscing, what is in for us in heaven? And so if you go to the book of Revelation on your own, and you study the conclusion of the book of Revelation, you come to chapters, the last two chapters basically, and you see what God has. The Bible says there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. He has these things for us. But I was kind of reminiscing, and just listen. I read about the streets of gold, pure gold, like transparent gold, I don't comprehend it totally. I read on there in Revelation, I read of the 12 gates that were 12 pearls, each gate one individual pearl. I don't understand that. Those of you that are old enough, remember Mrs. Cleaver? She always had those pearls. I go, Mom, where's your pearls? Oh, that lady's crazy. <laughs> she wore pearls all the time. But imagine you're going to go to heaven, the 12 gates. And each gate represents one pearl. I don't comprehend. I've seen a pearl. You've seen a pearl. And you know if it's bigger and more luster, you know, more bright. And so they got the color coordination. And it's supposed to be more expensive. But I still don't understand it. But God has a plan. 
I read now, I continue in there in Revelation, I read of pure, of, the, of a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, uh, the proceeds from uh, the throne of God and, and of the Lamb. What is a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal? We've all seen bodies of water. The Great Lakes, I've got the opportunity. Uh, we saw some of the Great Lakes, and it blows me away because the lakes that I've seen, I can see to the other side of the lake. This lake, you couldn't, I thought it was the ocean. They go, no, it's a lake. Mary and I had the opportunity to stand, uh, you know, uh, there in Niagara Falls years ago. That's breathtaking. Water, unbelievable amounts of water. In my opinion, that's a, a, a seven wonder of the world. Where's all that water? You can hear it. It's incredible. And yet here, he says, the pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. We crossed there, the Sea of Galilee. And you read some of the accounts of Jesus. And the tempest can come. It gets pretty nasty there because the way the wind structure is, because of, you know, uh, the canyons that are there. But the three times that I've crossed the Sea of Galilee, clear as glass. But some of my pastor friends, they were holding on. They were waiting for Jesus to come and calm the sea. But you experience these things here on earth. But what does God have for us when he speaks of a pure river, of water of life, clear as crystal? And so the beauty. Then this description, I mentioned it earlier. I read of the tree of life, which bears 12 different fruit. And when I read uh, that the leaves of these trees is for the healing of the nations. Now, I understand an apple tree. I understand a pear tree. I understand a peach tree. But these are 12 different fruits on one tree. Lord, you mean I can go to that tree and get the fruit I want? He's going to supply the next one. Well, I hope the guy in front of me doesn't get that, you know, pomegranate. I want it. Well, God's going to supply it. I mean, he's, it's, and then the healing of the nations from the leaves. What does that mean? These are things that God has for us, church. Then I read that in heaven, there will be no more night there. There will be no need for a lamp nor light of sun. In other words, the Shekinah glory, the Lord God gives his light. Beautiful. You know, here our southwest, when the sun comes out, it's just gorgeous. And when that bright moon comes out, even the darkest of the desert, uh, that moon just, you know, gives its light. But in heaven, Jesus will be that light. And again, these are the things that God has for us, but I don't fully understand. I read and I believe by faith. And so the key, back to verse uh, 7 again, the exceeding riches of His grace, the abounding, the overflowing of His riches of grace, His unmerited favor towards us on a daily basis, this is Paul's favorite expression. This grace of God he experienced it, as I shared earlier, uh, on the road to Damascus. And if you haven't experienced that, you need to come to saving grace. There's four things that I wanted to bring forth before we leave verse 7. Number one, the conversion of salvation of sinners. This is God's proof to us of his mercy and his grace. The conversion of salvation of sinners. That's you and I. Secondly, the conversion of his encouragement to others of God's salvation. God's grace. When I saw that God could save other people, that was an encouragement to me. When I heard the testimony of my pastor that he was a whoremonger, he was a murderer, he was a raper, that they actually had to release him after just eight months in country in Vietnam because he was crazy. He was doing atrocities. He had lost it. And he comes home and he gets saved. And I said, that was an encouragement. If God could save that man, God could save me. And if God could save me, God can save you, church. That's the beauty of it. And so when I, you know, started to uh, work with the street people, I could identify with them. God can save me. He can save you, man. 
That's the beauty of God. Uh, thirdly, the conversion of great sinners, listen to this, is, is a special proof of God's divine grace. Now, what, what do I mean by great sinners? You see, a liar gets into the kingdom of God. Well, I don't know. I don't comprehend that. But now a drunkard starts to identify. But that's about it for me. And then you get some that are murderers, rapers. What about a serial killer? I don't understand that. And some people can't grasp that God could save somebody that's committed uh, vile sins of another human being, even children, and they're on death row, but they're at the penitentiary. They have access to chaplains, pastors, and priests, and then they come and share with them. And some Christians, listen, that's not fair. Why did they get saved? Listen, Jesus died for all mankind. There's been some great testimonies. Those of you that are around here, usually in September when Pastor Mark Massiel comes, God saved that man. I used to go visit him and other inmates in Tehachapi State Prison, and we took Bible studies, and Mark was one of the inmates. He comes to saving grace. Mark and I have been associated the last 25 years. God's still working in that man's heart. Praise God. That's the changing power of God. But we look at a great sinner. Oh, that's not fair. Why not? Isn't God's grace the same today, yesterday, forever? Isn't God's grace the same for that person, that person, that person, and then for me? Who are we to say that? You know, they're no good. don't save them. You know, a lot of Christians were praying for Saddam Hussein. I don't know if he came to saving grace. I don't think so. I think he still died in his sins. But what if God would have saved him? All he would have had to do is call out, and God would have saved him. Let's continue. I'm running out of time here now. The last, number four, the conversion of his redemption for sinful man. The word redemption, I am God's purchased possession. He purchased me with his blood, with his blood. And so those are the four points that I saw. Now, verses 8, 9, and 10 are, are just beautiful. And then we bring it up to the end, verse 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Listen to this, church. It's a gift of God. God has saved you. He has saved me by his special gift, his unmerited favor. Again, the grace of God. And all I have to do is believe by faith. All you have to do is believe by faith. All you have to do is ask. Call out to God and he'll save you. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we are saved by grace through faith. Now, real quick, turn with me again uh, to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. I wanted to touch this, just bring it all up, not just verse 13. But I want you to listen to that. I want you to listen to what Paul's speaking to the church at Rome. This is a classic verse. We've mentioned it many times past. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So here he wants you to confess your sin. He wants you to believe in your heart. And he wants you to believe by faith. You shall be saved. This is a promise, church. Verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes uh, unto righteousness, and with the mouth uh, confession is made unto salvation. I come to repentance. I come to saving grace. I repent of my sins. Now, I learned this years ago. True repentance is threefold. Change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. You live by those three concepts. And God will transform you. God will change you. He changes the mind. He changes the heart. He changes the direction of the meandering, the weather vane system of my own life, the course of this world. Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, I love this about Paul. His commentary was always the Old Testament. He says, for the scripture says, Whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Paul's using a reference, if you're taking notes, out of Isaiah chapter 28. And basically verse 16. But in its context, verse 16 through verse 22, it's called the Messianic passage. And it speaks about there in Isaiah, the chief cornerstone. 
We know that that chief cornerstone is Christ. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And so verse 12, he goes on, For there is no uh, distinction between a Jew and Greek, for the same Lord uh, over all is rich to all who call upon him. God is no respecter of persons. We shared that earlier. He will save the Jew. He will save uh, the Gentile. Now salvation is to the Jew first. We know that. But we have been, become the dra- graft, drafted, in, grafted in, excuse me, grafted in branch according to Romans 11. He concludes it in verse 13. This is that classic portion of the conclusion of this little text. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How much easier can it be? What does it take to call upon the name of the Lord? We read earlier confession, believing by faith, believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of this is done by faith. In Christ, not by works, not by works. Now, the conclusion, verse 9, let's go back to our text. And so he said in verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith. And then he goes into verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If we could save ourselves, if my money could save me, if my philosophy could save me, if my education could save me, I would boast of that salvation. I did it. You know, I would be like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? No, Jesus has to save us. Jesus has to save us. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I like that. That God saved me. God saved you. Remember, it's a gift of God. When somebody gives you a gift, you have to take that gift. That gift is not yours until you open that gift, until you put on that gift. Otherwise, it's just sitting there. And so the gift of God is there. Eternal life through Christ. But have we put on Christ? Have we put on Christ? Guys, you remember when you were a kid, you made that little ceramic thing. My mom still has things that I made. Oh, look at this. This was your little hand. Mom, take those things down. She finally gave Mary my little bronze shoes. Mom, why did, you know, to a mom, right? Mother's Day. So what does my wife do? The bronze shoes are right there. Everybody comes, oh, look at Pastor Bob's shoes. (laughs) You guys don't do that anymore. (laughs) Not of works lest anyone should. By the way, I can't get into those shoes. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, church. Please don't forget this. For we are his workmanship. The word is masterpiece. The Greek word is poema, where we get our poem from. You see, God has made you perfectly. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his masterpiece. The word workmanship poema Uh, His handiwork, his careful work of art. Artists, I'm not an artist, but I appreciate those that that are artists. Artists put themselves into their work. They put themselves into their work. They want to be part of that work. Listen to this verse. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, God said, let us make man in our image according uh, to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, uh, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. We're a work of art. We are God's handiwork. We are God's work of art. Now, I know in the morning, especially if you've gone to bed late, and you get up and you turn the light on, the first thing you see in the mirror, you go, oh, my God, what happened? Hey, God created that. Oh, what happened? That's you. That's you. And look what, look what everybody's doing today. If you have money... You get plastic surgery for everything and everything. You don't like your ear there, you can put them here, you can put them there, everywhere. I can't imagine these people. I told Mary, what's going to happen to all these people that are getting all these surgeries? What's going to happen when they become the baby boomers? 
And so the beauty of the text this morning, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any one of us should boast.